0: I'm Yamilka Rodriguez, and this is the Brand Therapist Podcast, where we come together and deep dive into the psychology of branding. We live in a new era that asks us to step up and show our individuality, learn what makes us unique and different in this world. Let's open the door to possibilities so you can win in business, life, and relationships, because Everything starts with you. Hello and welcome to the Brand Therapist Podcast. I'm so, so excited about my guest today, Haley Westaby. I can't wait to read her bio. It's so great. Haley has spent the last 12 years working within some of the most well respected and well known advertising and marketing agencies working with some of the world's biggest brands. In 2021, Haley noticed a huge gap in the market where businesses were stuck between a high cost of big agency and the risk of hiring freelancers. Then when Gambit Collective was born as -as pay-as-you-go marketing agency, making marketing, social media, and personal branding accessible to all Over the last two years, Haley has built and scaled 100% inbound business through the power of social media and personal branding. Most recently, Haley has assisted brands like Commonwealth Bank and Westpac and with other teams, personal branding and presence online. When she's not working in her marketing business, Haley is working on her other business, Spicy Boy which is a crispy Sydney May chili oil that she founded in 2021. Haley is passionate about health and fitness, travel, true crime, and dogs. She also speaks openly about her own mental health journey, and she sits on boards for men's mental health charity. So welcome, welcome, Haley. How are you today? I'm great. I'm great. Thank you for having me on. Awesome. So first of all, before we get into the fun questions. I wanted to ask you a little bit about your business. You know, I was really attracted about the personal branding piece. And I know we had a little bit of a discussion on that. So I want you to tell me about a little bit about what you do and the importance of how personal branding kind of fits into the big scope of business.
1: Yeah. I mean, look, I think I could talk for hours about this and I know you and I could talk for hours about this, but I think that personal branding is a third of what we do within the business so we obviously have marketing social media and then personal branding as well so us a huge part of that is divided into workshops with businesses to educate them on the importance of personal branding and I think one of the key things for me when we go into those businesses there's a lot of skepticism around is it worth it what's the point What if our people don't want to talk about themselves online? It's a very egocentric activity, I think is a big misconception. One of the things that I like to ask every business owner, managing director, CEO, is they spend millions and millions of dollars building their brand every year. They spend millions of dollars on rebranding, on launching campaigns that have physical and aesthetic similarities that make it look like a cohesive brand. But they overlook the hundreds, sometimes hundreds, sometimes thousands of people that work for them that are walking billboards for their brand, that are walking mouths for their brand. And I think far too often businesses focus on that one channel of branding, which is through their own channels, and they don't look at the people within their organisation to become those billboards or those um, brand advocates for the brand. So. We work with a lot of businesses to really help them not only challenge their perception on personal branding, but also to help them empower their team to be able to get them to start posting about not only the stuff that they love, but the stuff that they do on a day-to-day basis. So we do a lot of workshops. We also look after a number of senior and executive and business owner LinkedIn profiles where we actually write the content. For them. And every time I say this, everyone's like, What? You can do that? And I'm like, Yeah. No one's talking about it though, because I can't sit there and be like, I write content for X, Y, and Z because they don't want to know about it. They don't want people to know that they don't write their own content. So it is something that people do. But yeah, I think for us, it's about being able to offer that support where businesses need it most.
0: Yeah. And, you know, I think it's important to have immense confidence to be able to have somebody else write for you, right? And I think the most important thing is that they don't do the due diligence around understanding their tone of voice. And so I believe that as long as the marketing company understands the brand, the tone of voice, and all those things, it should be super easy to make them look really good, right? I think there's kind of a piece that people think, well, nobody's going to be able to write my like me. Nobody's going to be able to think like me. Yeah, but are you, do you have the time to do it. And if you don't, I think it's completely fine to give somebody else the authority to write for you as long as they maintain your character. Yeah. I think it's quite a tricky one, right? Because I
1: think that um, tone of voice, you are absolutely correct in the sense that it is the most important thing when it comes to writing for a brand or a person. And I think that, The hard thing is, is that 99.9% of the time, the people and businesses that we deal with don't know their tone of voice. So they themselves can't tell us what that tone of voice is. They themselves can't tell us what that personality is. They themselves can't tell us whether they want to err on the side of being a bit more, you know, confrontational or conversational, or if they want to be a bit more safe or conservative, like they, they can't tell us. So For us, it's a process that we go through with each of our clients that we do write content for that we take really seriously because nine times out of 10, it's them figuring it out at the same time as we figuring it out.
0: Yeah. One of the things that I do is I use archetypes to kind of get to that. So the archetypes really help me educate them on their tone of voice because you're right. And this is the thing that I always talk about clients. It's like a lot of times they'll come and it's not that they don't know, but it's very hard for them to write their mission, their vision statement, understand their character. It's very difficult to do that for yourself. And I know that. So it's really important for somebody else to look at it from your perspective. So I use archetypes and psychology to really help me and help them execute on brand. And so I love that what you said, because you're right, It's like, you don't have to know your tone of voice, but it's important to work through it and understand what is it that you wanna communicate? How do you wanna communicate? And I think sometimes an agency is really good at helping mold both of those things. I wanted to now get into the really fun stuff. I always tell people that this wouldn't be called the Brand Therapist Podcast if we didn't talk about childhood. So tell me a story of your childhood and how that is connected to what you do today. I think there's so many stories that I could tell you that
1: would give you a bit of context as to who I am today. I think growing up in a family where my dad was in the military, he traveled from the day that I was born. He traveled from before I was born. He was away for long periods of time. Sometimes not being able to kind of communicate with my mom or tell her where he was going and things like that. So I think the nature of being born into a military family meant that we traveled a lot, meant that we moved almost every couple of years to a new house, to a new school, sometimes to a new country where we were forced to kind of make new friends. And I firmly believed when I was younger that my parents did not want me to have any friends because we'd be in one place for two years and then All of a sudden, get up and we're moving to the other side of the world. And I'm like, well, this is obviously before social media. So I was like, the only way to keep in touch with them is calling them and calling their landline and like texting and things like that wasn't as kind of common then for a kid. So for me, I think the resilience in knowing that you can really make friends with anybody if you put yourself out there, I think it also taught me to cut the crap. A lot quicker if that makes sense so when I walk into rooms where I see what Gen Z is now calling a red flag in a person you walk in and you see how someone treats somebody or you see how someone speaks to somebody and I think that for anyone that hasn't traveled they'd go oh that's just them or that's just how they are like you just have to deal with it whereas I've learned there are so many people in the world that I'm like I don't have to put up with the shitty people in the world if I don't resonate with somebody in that space like if they are not the same energy or, you know, give the energy that I give or reciprocate it on a similar level, you don't have to put up with that behavior. And I think that definitely traveling and moving quite a lot has taught me a million and one things that at the time I look at and I was like, my parents don't want me to have any friends. But I think looking back as a 32 year old now and go, wow, like, I don't think I would be the type of person that I am today had I have not had all of those experiences. So I would say that that's a fairly prominent one for me.
0: I love that. You know, I also not for the same reasons, but I did travel when I was younger. My dad taught in the U.S., and so we moved from Venezuela to the U.S. And I will say I felt the same. I was very angry because we kept moving around and I never got to keep my friends. And yeah, I I talk to my husband sometimes and he talks about his friends and he sees his friends from elementary school and he's still connected. I don't have any friends from elementary school that I even talk to because we move so much. I totally understand it, but to be honest, I am so happy today that that was it. Because understanding cultures, understanding people, Is what I love. And maybe this is why we do personal branding a lot too. I think there's something about everybody's an individual, everybody's so different. Really getting to know them deeply is one of the most important things. I think the big thing for me as well is that I think people, it's really evident to
1: me, people that haven't traveled or seen the world or been out of their comfort zone when it comes to kind of making friends or meeting new people, it becomes really evident that for me, You can see a person and, you know, someone might say, oh, this person, I don't really like them, but like, feel free to make your own opinion. And I, it has instilled in me so much that I will never let someone else's opinion influence my decision on somebody. I want to make that decision for myself. Because we all come from, as you said, different upbringings, different backgrounds, and how one person perceives one person can be very different to how the next person perceives the next person. And I think for me, like, I always get a bit weird when people are like, oh, I'm not looking for any new friends. And I'm like, some of my best friends I met 12 months ago, and they are better friends than friends that I have that are still friends with their junior school or primary school friends. So I think for me, it's never about quantity. It's always about quality. And I think that that is such an important lesson that now being 32, I've got friends that are traveling with their kids and they're like, I'm worried I'm going to ruin their life because we're moving with them. And I'm like, don't, because I was that kid and I don't hold any resentment against my parents for it. I look back now and I'm like, wow, not only do I have a whole heap of respect for my mum and dad, because I'm like, that would have been really difficult but I also can sit and see the type of person that I would have been had I have not been exposed to those experiences. So I think that that's a really important thing.
0: Yeah, and I get to speak two languages because of it, right? It's like not a lot of people get that chance. So I think it's just really cool to be able to grow in that way and understand those things. And you're right, people who have never left their city or their town have a whole different perspective on life. They sometimes can't see the bigger picture of things and that's okay. But also I think it gives you a little bit of more empathy, being able to put yourself in other people's shoes because you know how difficult it is sometimes to create these new relationships. And you're right. Sometimes you connect with somebody and you're like best friends in five minutes because it's like there's something there that connected you versus these long friends that have been there forever. So I do agree with that. So let me go on to the next question. I always ask my guests to tell me a story about their fame story. Now, a lot of people get all caught up and like, well, I'm not ce- a celebrity. It's not about celebrity or being a celebrity. It's more about what is the impact that you want to make in the world, right? Where have you made an impact And what is that story you want to tell about that impact that you've made? Yeah, I mean, I think it's
1: the same that we see all the time with personal branding, right? When we go, what do you want to be known for? People go, I don't want to be known for anything. And it's a very egocentric question, right? I think for me, making an impact has always come down to how you leave people feeling. I think it has nothing to do with the money that I earn or the titles that I hold or The business that I built or I'm building. I think for me, an impact can be directly related to what you do for work, but it can also not be. And I think there's a couple of kind of key instances I think that stand out to me. For me, you know, obviously I'm very active on LinkedIn. I love LinkedIn. I love sharing my story on LinkedIn. It was actually when my dad had a really honest conversation with me about um, coming home from Iraq. He served in Iraq for a period of time and I remember clear as day him having a conversation which for him probably seems like a blip in his life but for me it was something that I remembered and still remember like it was yesterday. He talked to me about the fact that he was going to go and speak to somebody because he wasn't feeling himself after getting back from Iraq and he was referring to obviously going to speak to a therapist and he'd noticed that he'd been quite snappy with us as kids and for me the vulnerability of him sharing that with me as his oldest daughter really sticks with me. And it still makes me emotional talking about it now because in that moment, he had a choice to share it with me or not share it with me. And he shared it with me. And I think it was that pivotal moment that has made me feel comfortable sharing my story with other people. And I think it's what makes me share those moments that perhaps people go, oh, I wouldn't be sharing that on LinkedIn. Like that might affect your career or that might affect future job prospects or people might think differently of you. And I think if there's one thing that I've learned, it's that not everyone is going to like you. Not everyone is going to cheer for you. Not everyone is going to support you. And I think that if I can leave this world knowing that I have been, I mean, I hate the word authentic because I think that it is really overused. And I think that authenticity is just who you are without the filters but I think that if I can leave this world being my most authentic self and sharing the stories that make me me that potentially could impact one person in my network or community you know I speak a lot about my own mental health journey and I think that that is a result of my dad sharing his story with me so for me being able to kind of talk about I remember that this one time I wrote an open letter that I never thought anyone would read. I just wrote it about my anxiety and about living with anxiety. I'd never really talked to anyone other than like my therapist and my doctor about being anxious. Never spoken to friends and family about it because I just didn't think anyone would understand it. So I am a big writer. I like writing words down. I love words. I love the power of words. And I wrote this open letter about struggling with anxiety and I think two years later I was working for an organisation and they said, you know, World Mental Health Awareness Month is coming up. Like, We'd love to get some stories out in the press around people that potentially want to share their mental health journey. And it was something for me that I was like, I pulled this person aside and I said, look, I wrote this letter like two years ago. I didn't expect it to see the light of day, but if I send it to you and it's something that you want to share with the world on behalf of the organisation, I'd be happy to because of me being slightly vulnerable in that moment allows others to then also have that conversation perhaps they're not feeling right or perhaps something is bothering them deep down that they've not been able to voice for me I felt that that was kind of like my gift to be like this might help somebody else and anyway she shared it it ended up being put in a publication that was then popped online and ran across LinkedIn and all of this stuff and it was like an open letter about mental health And there was part of me that felt really uncomfortable that it was out there because it's like my inner thoughts about my anxiety and everything like that. But then there was part of me that was like, no, Haley, remember that conversation that your dad had with you and how that changed the way that you think about talking about the things that you're going through. And the amount of people that then have reached out to me off the back of that that have said, because you shared that, like I was able to share it with my workplace, or I was able to share it with my wife, or I was able to reach out to my mates and tell them what was actually going on. And I think for me, whilst it's not about what I do, I think the power of being vulnerable and sharing parts of you that perhaps other people would look at and not even consider sharing is where I kind of would love to see my impact. And with LinkedIn, empowering people to share stories that perhaps aren't just about what they do for work. They might relate to work. You know, I've shared stories of me being chronically bullied at work. I've shared stories of me trying to find my feet in an advertising world that was predominantly men when I started, me trying to find my feet, navigating this mental health, like anxiety that I was going through and figuring out whether it was like me being bad at my job or something that I actually just had to physically work through and it had nothing to do with my job. All of those things... For me, when people reach out to me and they say, I read this about you, or I read your post about that and it inspired me to do this, that for me is where I I like to see my impact.
0: One of the things I always tell my clients is the more you are you, the more you attract the right individuals to you. And I think a lot of times we try to hide behind this wall that we're perfect, that we're do this and that we don't show any of our vulnerabilities And I think that's a mistake because you're going to attract people that you don't want in your life. The more that you are you, the more you attract that. I always say that opposite that loves everything that you do. And so I'm sure the more vulnerable you are, the more clients you probably get because they get to know you at a deeper level. And that's what I try to tell my clients, like, what is that deep level that you want to be known for and that you want to be open to? So, I love how you kind of explained all that.
1: Yeah, I would also say that I think being vulnerable doesn't mean that you have to share everything. I think there's a big difference between being vulnerable and being transparent. Both are core values of mine. I'm very transparent with my team, with my clients, with how we do business. I, you know, in any pitch, which goes against every kind of advertising agency model, but we share the markup that we put on hard costs. We're very honest about that. We explain how our remuneration and and pricing structure works because there's a value in being transparent in that situation. Transparency for me is about sharing something that is going on that is just more information. It can't necessarily be used against you. Whereas vulnerability for me is about sharing something that could potentially be used against you. And I think there's power in knowing you don't have to share everything. Like I'm on LinkedIn, I'm on Instagram, I'm on TikTok and people think that they know everything about my life because I put there what I want to put on there. I'm not sharing everything. My dating life, all of those things, they're very private. So people don't assume that you're a private person when you post a lot on social media, but I think that there's value in knowing that you don't have to talk about everything if you don't want to. There's power in kind of controlling that narrative and being like, cool, what do I want to be known for? But further to that, the power of being known comes from being known, liked, and trusted. The power of your personal brand comes from the success of being liked, trusted, and known. And you can only do that when you open your life up and you are kind of put your walls down slightly to share that part of you that people feel as though they know you a little bit more. Like I'm such an open book. Like I always tell my team, my clients, I was like, ask me anything. I will tell you the answer. Some things I may be more discreet about in the way that I answer it, but I will answer it. And I think that openness and that vulnerability allows people to feel as though they can trust you more, which is the premise of being able to build your personal brand.
0: We thank our sponsor, BespokeBranding.io. Tailored branding to reach your ideal client gain a deeper level of understanding to empower your brand and purpose and rule the market we know what it's like to journey from a place of feeling overwhelmed and undervalued to being powerful understood and authentic your brand identity allows you to live your purpose the brand therapist has 20 years of branding and design experience has transformed billion dollar brands and has eight plus years of guiding women entrepreneurs to realize their potential. I invite you to take the brand quiz, and you can find it at www.bespokebranding.io. I asked you two questions, and you came out as a caregiver in the archetype. Does that surprise you?
1: Yes and no. I think I'm a caring person. I'm a people person. I'm an empath. Like I can very much resonate with people. But I think that for a large portion of my career, I was always told, and I talk a lot about this, I was always told that you can't be emotional at work. You have to leave your emotions at the door. So for me, I've kind of developed this confident and hard kind of exterior, which some people may confuse with being quite blunt or quite to the point. But I think that as I've built my business, it's become abundantly clear that I can be an emotional leader, but I cannot, like, I just need to take the emotions out of decision making. So I think for me, I'm not surprised by that, but I think that there's also this perception that I have in my head of trying to remove the emotion and the care from things, but it just doesn't go, I care too much.
0: (laughs) I love that you said that because it's so true. It's like the belief that we have about leaders are like the ruler leaders, right? The CEO, no emotions in any way where, you know, we go straight to the point and everybody has their own way. Now, I will say the caregiver, I'm not surprised you're a caregiver because they're immensely service oriented. It's natural, right? It's not like you force service. It just comes naturally out of you and it gives people this confidence but also this reassurance, right? And you do have the opposite of caregivers heroes. So you do have clients probably that are very, you know, they want to save the world and they want to do these things, but it's very easy for you to talk to them because you know how to care for them, how to support them, how to really help them thrive in whatever they do. And you're very clear and transparent about your mission and what you're trying to do. So it's important to them to know that and to understand that. So let me read the card to you. A caregiver sees the need in the world and is attracted to experiences that make them feel needed and appreciated. The motivation is family, the need is to support others, the fear is lack of understanding, and the behaviors just cares about working closely with others, draws sincere concern about people's well-being and personal development. How does that sound? Pretty spot on. <laughs> I know this is scary stuff. I always love this because I just, I don't talk to you before. I just get it. I read it to them and they're all like, are you a psychic? No, this has nothing to do with, uh, it has to do with psychology, which is really interesting to me. And this is how I work with my clients because once I get to know them, but the only thing to know about caregivers, it's about, you can give yourself, but you have to set boundaries right? Like you just said, if that person doesn't have that energy, I don't deal with that. Well, I just don't even go there. And it's, that's really important. Yes. What did you want to say about that? I think you're so
1: right. And I think it's something that has only come to me in the last few years, because I think that the term people pleaser comes up a lot. And I think that for me, I always kind of said, well, no, I'm not a people pleaser. Like I like looking after others. I like serving others. I like helping others. But there was actually a podcast that I listened to recently, probably about two months ago now, that there was this full light bulb moment that was like, people pleasing is where you are serving others, but not from a full cup. You are serving others at the exchange of depleting your own. Instead of filling your own cup first and then serving others, you are giving from an empty cup. And I think that For me, it was such a great way to look at it because for years I've sat there being like, I'm not a people pleaser, but there are absolutely times that I've sat there and been like pouring from an empty cup time after time because I'm like, well, no, I care about people. Like I will always put other people before me. And I think it's the notion of actually stepping back and being like, no, again, it's the age old saying is like, you can't pour from an empty cup. But I think that that is so true when it comes to caregivers. And you think about mothers, fathers, any kind of person that is in a caregiving role, whether they're looking after somebody disabled or handicapped, like anything like that is that you have to be able to have a full cup before you start serving others. And I think that that's something that I constantly check in with my team and myself on now is like, what are you doing for yourself today? Because we work in a service oriented business where we are serving others. There is nothing about this job that is self-centered. It is all for other people. So I think that if we don't have the capacity to check in on what we're doing for ourselves each day, we lose sight of that care and it becomes this toxic people pleasing circle.
0: Yes. And so once you figure that out, especially for caregivers, you are golden there is nothing that's going to stop you. And I love that metaphor, because I always talk about the metaphor of the plane too. like, put the mask on yourself first before you put it on somebody else. And it's that piece where selfless is not a bad thing. It's a bad thing when you are doing it from lack. Right? I think you're absolutely right on point. So there's five words that I always tell people that these are like, their values. So for a caregiver, it's helpful, responsible, empathetic, nurturing, and supportive. Which one of those resonate most with you? Helpful, responsible, empathetic, nurturing, and supportive. I think
1: there's two that really stand out. Helpful for sure, because I mean, it's one of the core values of our business now is to help. And I think for me, something that I talk to my team about all the time is that we are not selling all the time. We are helping. And I think that that's a really important distinguishment to make because selling is serving yourself, helping is serving others. And I think that for us to be able to you know, pick up the phone with a client and not say to them, what are we doing next month or where are we at next quarter? It's how can we help you? And whether that's pointing them in the right direction of a strategy or a piece of work that they're doing or whether it's referring them to one of our partners that we work really closely with if we don't do that type of work. Fundamentally, people remember how you help them, not what you sell them. So for me, helpful is definitely a core value of the business. And it's definitely one that resonates the most. I would also say that empathetic is probably up there with one of, I suppose, one of the top ones out of that list. I think for me, like I said before, I really struggled with the idea of, I've been in a lot of like male-led businesses and female-led businesses where they were like, you need to leave your emotion at the door. Or I'd get really kind of upset if we didn't win a pitch or the client didn't like the idea that we put forward that we spent four months working on. And i read this great book. It's called Emotional Intelligence, shameless plug, because I literally tell anyone that will listen to read that book. And I read it every couple of years just to refresh myself. But it talks about the idea of these two people calling into work sick. One person you love and you might have had dinner with outside of work, you might get a coffee with outside of work, you really get along, you're on the same wavelength. The other person you don't necessarily agree with, you don't think that they're great at their job, you think that they're quite lazy. The reaction that you have to those two situations are vastly different. The one that you like, you're like, oh, poor thing, she's been working so hard, she probably needs a break, blah, blah, blah. The one that you don't like, they go, oh, they're so lazy, they always leave me with their work. The reality of it is they're both not there. The problem is exactly the same, but how you react to that is based off how you feel about that individual. So, for me, empathy is really important, but removing emotions from reactions and decisions is something that I have learned to do over time. So, I think that I can sit and get teary with a colleague of mine who tells me that she's going through a really bad breakup, I can feel her feelings. I can sit and I can hug her and I can empathize with her, but then I can also make a decision around the business that is not emotion led. It is very factual. It is informed by facts or data or whatever we have in front of us. And I think that there's two very different things there. So I think there's no shame in being an empathetic leader. And I think to be honest with you, it makes you a better person and a better leader.
0: You know, I love that. And the way that you described it, I can already tell what quadrant your secondary archetype is. And I love this because I'm always kind of doing research in the background. I don't really say this out loud ever, but it, it also makes me understand a little bit more about the individual and understand that my model actually works. Because the more clients I get or the more people I talk to on podcasts, I can start to see the patterns and the correlations and the pieces. And anyway, I always tell people we're human. So these things are just going to happen because we are human and we work with humans and we talk to humans and it would be different if we had other creatures like other aliens or other things, but we know we are all humans. And so we all deal with the same things. And so they're drivers of our behavior and what we do. So let me ask you this. Where do you see yourself in the next five, 10 years? Do you know, it's one of the
1: questions I get asked all the time. And I get asked by other business owners, like, what's your five-year plan? There's part of me that goes, I don't have a five-year plan because nothing over the last five years was planned. (laughs) And so if I had planned it, I probably would be somewhere very different. And then the other part of me goes, I have a vision for what I want and where I see this business going and where I see myself going. And it's nice to have that kind of to keep you on track. So for me, the next five years, I would see the business growing, obviously. I would love to be able to build my team up to like 20, 25 people max. I don't ever want to be a huge agency. And I think the the reason for that is it took me a really long time to come to terms with the fact that we were an agency because I had had such awful experiences working within agencies. When I started the business, they were like, so it's an agency. I was like, no, it's not. Like I cannot be associated with an agency. And, and then over time I was like, no, you know what? We are an agency and we're doing things differently and that's okay. So I think being called an agency gave me more power to be able to change the narrative around what an agency is, as opposed to trying to find another word for for what we were. So I'd love to be able to grow it to like 30 people and still have that really kind of intimate dynamic where we know all of our clients, you know, I'm across all of it. I I don't, you know, it's funny. My dad has two years left before he retires from the military And I just cannot wrap my head around the idea of him retiring because the man likes to be busy. He has a list every weekend to work through. He's doing things around the house. And I'm like, how do you still have things to do around the house? And so for me, I don't ever want to be hands-off. I'm a hands-on doer. And I think that there's two types of leaders in the world. There are doers and there are delegators. I am not a delegator. Not that I'm not good at it, but I like being involved in it. I like seeing the results. I understand the power of delegation in order to get more work done. And we absolutely utilize that across the business. But I want to be able to be in those meetings with our clients that we're helping. I want to be able to be on the ground when we're shooting a client, when they have the headshots for the first time that they're doing. And that feeling that you get from seeing people see how great they look on camera. And I think There's all of those things that come with that. So, I think for me, I don't want to ever lose sight of the people within my organization. That's my team, that's my clients, and the partners that we work with. I'd love to be able to grow it fundamentally so that we can help more people, not only on the client side, but also on the team side of things. You know, I regularly refer to my business as the orphanage, and that's purely because we adopt people that have come from awful. Business environments. You know, I myself had a number of awful experiences within agencies. I talk about them quite often, but every single person that works within our organization and our business has been treated poorly by a brand or an organization. I love the idea that we can change the narrative or the conversation around what it means to be at work and how it means to be treated at work. And by no means do I sit here being like, we are the perfect example of a working environment, but when people ask me like how I got from where I was working for somebody to where I am now, honestly, I've just done everything that I hated about each agency or business that I worked for and did the complete opposite. There's no playbooks. There's no like, this is what you should do. This is how you should set up a business. These are the policies that you should have. But I literally just took every example of like awful experiences that I've had throughout my life and my my experience within the industry and done the opposite. And I think that again, there's a human element in that as well. So I think being able to grow my business, to be able to adopt more people from broken experiences so that you don't lose those great people is really important to me as well.
0: Oh my God. I think we had a parallel life with a few years of difference because I have to say I worked in corporate and then I started my own business. I worked at agencies. I managed agencies actually at the beginning of my career. And then I worked in an agency. And I had the same issue. I did not want to call myself an agency. And it was because I felt like it was their agencies, not my agency, like the agency that I work for or the agency that I manage. And I think once I got a grasp around like, yeah, I am an agency, but I'm not that agency. I'm my own agency and I really care about my clients. And I'll do anything, whatever it takes to make them look amazing without so much effort, right? And they get to own all their things. I'm not gonna hoard it and like make them pay for every little thing that I change or that I do. They get to have it. And so I think a lot of times changing that perspective of what an agency is and giving everything for your client making sure they understand that you're doing it for them. I think that's really important. And you get to redefine the word agency in however you want. I agree. I think um, on top of that, I think
1: there's also, you know, I think I've worked the last however many years in agencies where they're like, the client's always right and they're not. And I think that that's really important to understand as a business owner is that the idea that the customer is always right is so wrong because, it negates any feelings for your team It negates any kind of responsibility for ownership of a problem or a solution or, or a situation. And I think, you know, we've done it over the last two and a half years where we've turned around to a client and been like, you know what, this is not working for us. We've given you three opportunities to fix the way in which you speak to my team. I've given you three opportunities to apologize and you've not recognized that. And there's one thing that I went into business for, and it's to not put up with the bullshit that I had to put up with when I worked in agencies. And I think that for me, yes, of course, you always go above and beyond for your clients. But I think in the same respect, there's a line. And when you're being spoken to appallingly by a client, or there is these expectations that are just not realistic, or the client goes against every single recommendation that you've put forward and does their own thing anyway why are they paying you (laughs) like I would rather not have your money yeah and have a team that are happy and enjoy having a conversation with my clients than going and being like we need to have a conversation with these people and my entire team dreading having that conversation
0: And you know, you're so right, because one of the things that I did also early on in my business was to say to my clients, I'm doing this, if you don't use it, then I'd rather you not pay me, right? The whole point that I'm creating all these things for you is for you to use them. And if you're not going to, then don't pay me, right? It's just so interesting. Yeah, it's the, um, I
1: mean, I say it more than I would like to say it because I think that every time that I say it, it kind of sits there and goes, oh, like, why are we still having this conversation? It's like, don't hire experts and then tell them what to do. If you think you know what's best for your business, don't engage a specialist. If you come to a specialist or a service-based business and you need help with marketing or social media or personal branding, we can help you. But if you sit there saying that you know it all, why are you working with us? Like, why are you paying someone for that advice? So me, it's like, yeah, it comes back to don't hire experts and tell them what to do. I know
0: it's, it's so funny because even my designers, I'll kind of give them the right direction, but at the end of the day, I don't tell them what to do. I know better, right? I know better. And I have clients that are like, can you move this thing up here to this? Can you change? Uh, No, this is not like you get to design your own thing here the designer is the expert. And, you know, if you have an issue about something in particular, you can voice it and we can move forward from there. Totally. And one thing I will add, and it's something
1: that I talk about a lot is as a service-based business, the amount of times we get told how to do our jobs is shocking. (laughs) I would never go to a cafe and be like, Hey, that's not how you make a coffee. Hey, actually, no, that's not how you foil someone's hair or cut someone's hair that's not how you make a sandwich. Like I am not ever going to go into another service-based business, pay for a service and then tell them what to do. Like I would never order an Uber and be like, sir, this is how you drive. Right. You just don't. So I don't understand why it's so
0: acceptable in our industry for people to be like, actually, I know more than you. Yeah. And you know, I always tell people that this is what happens. You really need to be yourself so you can attract your opposite because your opposite will never tell you what to do because they have no idea. When you attract your own or similar to you, they will always say, well, I can kind of do what she does. I don't really need that. And so it's really important to connect with that individual that knows nothing, but knows that you know it and they can completely and utterly trust you. So let me ask you this. We kind of know already where you like to hang out, but how can people reach you? Like where do they go to find you, whether it's TikTok or LinkedIn or Instagram? So to find me personally,
1: I'm across LinkedIn, Instagram, and TikTok, as is the business to be fair. So me, I'm Hayley Westby on all platforms. So Hayley Westby on LinkedIn, Instagram, and TikTok, just my name, Um, nothing overly exciting. And then the business is gambit.collective across Instagram, LinkedIn, and TikTok.
0: And tell us where you're coming from, because everybody's going to be about that accent. Where is that from? So tell us where you live. I live
1: in Sydney, Australia, but at the moment I'm coming to you from Melbourne, Australia, because I'm down here for work. So yeah, coming from Australia. And you
0: have clients all over the world?
1: We do, absolutely. I think the nature of some of the parts of the business is that it doesn't have to be local. We've got team that live all over the world and we've got clients that we service all over the world. Obviously, a lot of our clients are Australian-based or New Zealand-based, but I think the beauty of what we do and the beauty of technology nowadays and post-COVID kind of communication is that people feel a lot more comfortable working with specialists wherever they are in the world because of the technology that we have in place, like Zoom calls and things like that, where you feel like you're, you know, sitting next to the person. It was actually really funny. I was out with one of the girls that works with me on Saturday afternoon. We went to a friend of mine's um, new venue launch and she came with me with a bunch of my other girlfriends. And one of my clients was there. Now I've met my client a couple of times in person, but the girl that works with me had never met her in person, but works with her every week. And she bumped into her. They're having this conversation. And then all of a sudden they realized that they were like, we've never met in person, but we feel <laughs> as though we know each other really well. And we feel as though we've met each other in person before. So I love that. I love that you can create those connections with people online. I mean, social media is proof of that, that you can create connections with people online that you've never even met before. So I think that, yeah, that's the beauty of being able to work with people across the country and across the globe.
0: Oh, I love that. Well, Haley, it's been a pleasure. Thank you so much for the amazing conversation. I think this is one of my longest podcasts, which I'm very excited about because it's going to be very entertaining for everybody. I so appreciate you. Thank you so much for being on the podcast. Thank you so much for having me. I could have kept talking for hours, so we have to do part <laughs> two. <laughs> yes, we will. We definitely will. So thank you everybody for listening to the Brand Therapist Podcast, and I'll see you on the next one. Thank you for listening to The Brand Therapist. If you enjoyed today's episode, please subscribe, rate, and review this podcast on your favorite pod player. If you would like to connect on social, you can find me at Yamoka Rodriguez Branding or BespokeBranding.io. And if you would like to do the brand character quiz, go to BespokeBranding.io and click on Brand Quiz. Or you can email me at yamilka at yamilka.com. Thanks for listening and I'll catch you on the next episode.